Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. Sportsbet Montana is powered by the Montana Lottery. Join in on the excitement for Sportsbet Montana by betting on your favorite sports and teams, both collegially and professionally. There are multiple ways to bet, including in-game, which gets you into the action live as the game unfolds, and parlay betting, where you could have a chance to win big. Sportsbet Montana is a secure and interactive way to win while watching your favorite sports. Bets can be placed securely on the mobile app while at an authorized Sportsbet Montana location or by using the Sportsbet Montana kiosk located at approved vendors. Montana bettors have wagered more than $28 million since Sportsbet Montana launched almost a year ago. And in that time, bettors have won more than $25 million. Sportsbet Montana's retail partners have more than $1.7 million in commission. Head on down to your authorized Sportsbet Montana locations and get in on the fun today. Sorry for the confusion there if you're watching in on TV. I know we got some captive audience uh, that uh, tunes in right at 4 o'clock. Misalignment of the brakes. Just how it goes sometimes. We were on TV a little bit before this show started, but no matter how you're watching or listening, appreciate you doing so. Welcome in. Hope you're having an awesome Tuesday. This is Nuanez Now, 1029 ESPN Radio, as well as statewide television, SWX Montana TV. I am Coulter Nuanez. Broadcasting to you live from the Northwest Motorsport Studio, Northwest Motorsport, new to Montana, new to Missoula, located at the corner of Stevens and Mount. They boast the largest inventory of trucks anywhere in the Pacific Northwest. You can visit them online at nwmsrocks.com. That's nwmsrocks.com. 
Bobcats.com. Ton to get to in the show today. Going to talk a little Bobcat stuff because we did not talk much Bobcats coming out of the Eastern Washington-Montana showdown, which we attended in Cheney, myself and several of my guys here at ESPN as well as Skyline Sports. Uh, but get a little bit more into that. We also are going to hear right off the top, just a couple minutes, a guy that I've interviewed a ton throughout my career and his career in a variety of different uh, capacities. Nick Edwards. First got to know Nick when he was a wide receiver at Eastern Washington, All-American. He went to the NFL for a little while, uh, kept up with him then a little bit. Then he became the receivers coach at his alma mater, Eastern Washington. And then uh, he became the receivers coach at Cal when he followed Bo Baldwin to uh, Berkeley. And now he's the offensive coordinator at Cal Poly. So he will join us in just a brief moment. We're also going to bring back a couple other things that we've uh, done in the past that I really enjoy doing. First, the Sports Medicine Journal with Dr. Michael Wright. Dr. Michael Wright's an orthopedic surgeon at Missoula Bone and Joint. And uh, today's segment, we talked about meniscuses. So the Sports Medicine Journal, we do that once a month. And we just talk about common sports injuries. What does it mean to tear your meniscus? What's the recovery like? What is the surgery like? And uh, all that sort of stuff. Sort of give you a look behind the scenes of what some of these athletes actually go through when they get hurt. Because I think we see guys get hurt a lot. Sometimes we treat that sort of transactionally rather than as a human, but I think it's good to hear from Doc because he, he tells all the ins and outs of what it actually means to uh, get hurt, especially specific and common sports injuries. I'm also going to bring back the Footy 15, which is a uh, segment that's a supplement of the uh, Snow and Smoke podcast, Smoke and Snow, excuse me, podcast with Andrew Houghton, uh, talking all things soccer. So we'll get to that. Here about 4.45. Tucker Sargent's going to swing by. He is uh, on the board of directors for the new Grizz hockey team. He's also the Grizz lacrosse coach, and he's also a New England Patriots fan. So we got a ton to get to with him. If you haven't heard, Grizz hockey's back. Also, if you haven't heard, it's one of the hottest tickets in town. And uh, he, they sold out on Friday night. It was a, quite a spectacle in the first Grizz hockey game in more than a decade. So fun to have Tucker involved with that. So he'll give us... The scoop, I think he's going to even bring a player, so we'll hear a little bit more about Chris Hockey. And then, uh, depending on where the conversation goes, i still got an excerpt for our latest Grizz Greats segment as well uh, with John Edwards, national championship winning quarterback for the University of Montana. Going out of the Rangers Brothers RV phone line, it's time for our Across the Lines, presented by Mike Nugent Berkshire Hathaway. Could be a good time to buy, could be a good time to sell. No matter what real estate questions that you have, give Mike Nugent and Berkshire Hathaway a call. They are your local real estate experts throughout the state of Montana. Welcome in. Cal Poly Offensive Coordinator, a guy I've interviewed in, in a variety of different capacities. One of his time as a player at Eastern Washington, receivers coach at Eastern Washington. Now he's back in the Big Sky Conference, this time with uh, an interesting task of helping rebuild Cal Poly's offense. He's Nick Edwards. Nick, thanks so much for being with us, my man. How you doing? I'm doing great. How you doing? Very good, man. First of all, it's funny. I admit, you know, I've been covering the league now for a while, and uh, I remember first catching up with you back when you were playing at Eastern and then when you were coaching at Eastern, you were the guy kind of behind the scenes with all those awesome Eastern receivers during the heart of the Bo Baldwin run there at, at EWU and now at Cal Poly. So just from a, a personal perspective, what do you like about living in California? What's it like being in San Luis Obispo? Because to me, that's one of the best towns I've ever been to. That's one of the great college towns in America. How are you liking life in slow? Man, it's, uh, it's great, man. Um, I've been in the Bay Area um, the last three years prior to this and you know, the acronym slow, we, we live it here. You know, it's, the life is just a great 
slow lifestyle. You have to beach town. Uh, we're on beach time. We do things. To- Uh-oh. I think we might have lost Coach Edwards there. We will effort him uh, quickly. The news hook here is that Cal Poly plays at Montana State on Saturday. So, Mustangs making their second trip to uh, the Treasure State um, in short order, just just uh, two weeks apart. So, get to that a little bit as well. Cal Poly's played a brutal schedule so far as well. Got it kicked off with a win over San Diego, but they've already played uh, Montana. They've already played Weber State, and uh, now – Heading on to Bozeman to take on the Bobcats. Do we have Coach Edwards back? We do. Coach, sorry, I guess the uh, the call dropped there. But I, I didn't even think of that element. I mean, life in, in San Luis Obispo, slower pace, but probably the traffic, even that this element, not living in the Bay, must be so nice. Oh, yeah. No traffic. Live about five minutes from work. Get to see the, you know, um, the players a lot more often. Um, it's, just, it's just a better living for me, my family, my kids, and the rest of the coaching staff. Let's talk about this journey you've been on because you played for Bo Baldwin at Eastern Washington and has coached under him for several years there as well. Followed him to the Bay where you coached at Cal, Berkeley, and then now back with this new task of rebuilding the Cal Poly football program. So uh, what about Coach Baldwin? I mean, what, have, what has kept you guys tied together and what have you thought of just the way that he's influenced your coaching career to this point? Oh, man, it's been a, it's been awesome. You know, I've been with him since I was 18 years old. Uh, now it's been like uh, 11 years that we've been together, 12 years. Um, it's been phenomenal. Um, I, I learned so much from him from a player standpoint, um, how he was with me, um, then on the coaching side and how, you know, he is with his coaches. Um, and he shaped my um, – you know, coaching philosophy more from a psychological standpoint, um, how to get the most out of your players um, and how you could do it in a positive way, um, but still be demanding. Um, so that has helped me a lot as a player and that elevate my game and all the uh, guys that I have coached in the, uh, you know, in the past. And now you know, I, I believe that has elevated their game as well. And uh, it's been awesome. And I'm so grateful to be with him for such a long time and continue to keep learning from him from a day-to-day perspective. Um, and uh, it, it, like you said, it has been a journey here at Cal Poly, but, you know, we're excited for the challenge, and uh, we're going to get it done sooner than later. Well, knowing the coaching staff you guys got in place, I fully believe that. I also think you got a lot, a lot of talent to recruit from that area as well. Nick Edwards joining us here on the Rangers Brothers RV phone lines across the sidelines, presented by Mike Nugent, Berkshire Hathaway Real Estate. What about Coach Baldwin? I mean, what has given him success? Because I think some guys, some head coaches, their programs, it's so easy to define what the culture is or what they want the identity to be. Like, you look at Montana, right? Bobby Houck just wants to hit you in the mouth. He wants it to be about toughness. He wants to run to the football, all those things. Coach Baldwin, he seems to have done it in so much more of a cerebral way, and you guys are just so dynamic in so many different forms and fashions. So what about Coach Baldwin? How, how does he have the success he's had, particularly in the Big Sky Conference? Yeah, I could talk for hours and hours on this, on the, on the reason why he has so much success. Um, but um, from uh, outside the you know the white lines, I think the number one thing is he can get the most out of people, like what I talked about earlier. Uh, he's super personal as a head coach, um, and he does a lot of things to get most out of people from a psychological standpoint. Um, he understands his players um, because of how much time he spends with them and how to motivate them in a way that, uh, is demanding and in a way that, you know, it's going to challenge them to be better. Um, that's what I, I do know. Um, the other reason why, you know, he has success is 
like you said, yeah, he's super cerebral. Um, he understands the game of football and a way to attack guys um, and attack different teams. If that's on offense, if that's on special teams, if that's on uh, defense, you know, he's going to figure out a way to go ahead and, you know, attack people. Um, obviously, you know, uh, last week when we played against Montana or two weeks ago when we played against Montana, we faked a field goal. He just understand or faked a uh, punt. He understands how to attack people. Um, he's been around the game a lot, and he's a guy that studies the game, um, and he understands it at a high, high level. Um, and the other biggest thing is eye for talent. Um, that is, um, you speak for his resume, you know, especially from the offensive perspective, um, uh, how many quarterbacks that he had and been successful. Um, and so, like, his eye for talent is one of the best I've ever been around. Um, and he knows, you know, what he, exactly what he's looking for. And he, you know, in a fit. Um, he's not going to go out of his way to, you know, make sure something doesn't fit his, his style. Um, but he, always willing to adapt, but from the quarterback's perspective and from an offense perspective, he knows exactly what he's looking for. Nick Edwards joining us, Cal Poly offensive coordinator, wide receivers coach. The Mustangs play in Bozeman on Saturday against Montana State. Coach, let's talk about sort of the overhaul that's going on at Cal Poly right now for years and years, not just Tim Walsh's uh, era, but also before that even. Rich Ellerson, Cal Poly running the triple option. And I know it was a nightmare for everybody else in the league, because of the way that you had to game plan for it, and it was so different. And, uh, you know, I would always go through the, the composite schedule and see the teams that maybe had to play Eastern Washington and Cal Poly or Cal Poly and Eastern Washington back-to-back weeks because that turnaround was even more uh, challenging. But here you are now implementing a lot more, I won't say traditional, but more uh, new age, more modernized offense at Cal Poly. So what, what has that been like? What is the biggest challenge as you try to revamp that Cal Poly offense? Yeah, it's uh, everything's a teacher moment. You know, guys that have been here um, that have been recruited, um, you know, they've been, you know, asked to do specific things um, inside their role, and they have been ingrained to do that um, over the years. Um, And then even the guys that they have recruited in the past, you know, which they have talent, um, but their talent wasn't in a specific role. So now, you know, changing certain things that we're doing now, um, it has everything that's been a, uh, a teacher moment from a route depth, from a route perspective, from uh, learning how to, you know, hit the hole differently than just being downhill, downhill, downhill in terms of the run game and the triple option. So uh, it's been good. It's been fun. It's been, you know, uh, obviously as a challenge, um, but it takes time to, you know, for players and coaches to understand what they know, what they don't know, what do you need to teach, what do you need to emphasize. Um, so it's been, it's been good. Um, obviously, you know, recruiting, you know, guys and, you know, that fit our system as well uh, will help over time. But uh, the current guys we have, you know, they are smart um, and they're willing to learn and do exactly what you're asking them to do. So that is, you know, super encouraging. And that's, you know, the, the best part about being around the, our players um, as of right now, that they are, they're willing to do what you say, and they're going to try their, you know, their butts off to go ahead and, you know, execute as much as they can. Well, I know, like some of the schools in Georgia that were running the triple option, like Georgia Southern, uh, Georgia Tech, a lot of that stemmed from so many high schools in Georgia running the triple option as well. To me, and correct me if I'm wrong, it doesn't seem like there's that many California high schools running the triple. So uh, it seems like some of the young guys maybe have a chance to maybe go back to their roots rather than because they were maybe learning the triple option. They didn't run that system in, in high school. Or I guess where's the dynamic of your roster like? I mean, was there a lot of guys that have been running the system forever or just when they were at Cal Poly? Yeah, um, some of the reason why people, you know, run the triple option 
um, if you go, you know, through, through the landscape, is uh, it's easier to go ahead and find, you know, uh, running backs can go downhill or uh, offensive linemen. You can um, and just kind of run the ball a little bit. It's hard to find, you know, a true quarterback and a lot of receivers and running backs that can catch the ball at the backfield. So you see a lot of that in high school still. Um, and and then um, if you want to look at in terms of college, a lot of academic schools um, or high high academic schools, you know, they're a run first team. You know, back in the day when you know Stanford, Stanford has morphed a little bit. Um, they're you know a run element team. And uh, you go against the other teams like the Army, the Navies of the world, their their academics is, you know, high, high. Um, and so uh, from that respect, it's, you know, it's easier to find some of those guys. Um, but so, but when we did get here and we looked at the roster, they had, I believe it was like 12 running backs on the roster. And some of those running backs were hybrid running backs where they're tight in, but a runner, they still had a skill set to run the ball. Um, and I think they had uh, – Four receivers, one that just graduated, that's playing in the NFL, I believe, with the Rams, JJ Kowski, yep. um, and that was that was pretty much it. So um, again, when I said everything was a teaching moment, literally everything was a teaching moment from O line receivers, uh, quarterbacks, running backs, every position was a teaching moment um, for those uh, for for our players. And um, like I said, it, you know they did a good job of you know learning and um, take on the coaching and going from there. Across the sidelines, we do this each week, twice a week, here on Nuanas Now, taking a look uh, for the opponents of both Montana and Montana State. Cal Poly coming to Montana for the second time in three weeks. The Mustangs play at Montana State in Bozeman on Saturday. Nick Edwards, the offensive coordinator for the Mustangs, joins us now here live on Nuanas Now. And, Coach, let's talk about that. I mean, coming back to Montana, it's always tough when you got to go to Montana once, let alone twice, uh, because these two schools have great home field advantages, and this year particularly – Really good teams, too, a pair of top ten teams. So what do you think of the challenge that awaits you in Bozeman on Saturday? Yeah, there's a lot. Like you said, one, you know, both of the teams that we just faced, you know, they're really, really talented. Um, obviously, you saw Montana beat um, UW early in the year. Um, and they just have a lot of talent. They have great coaches and great players you know, with a great scheme along with that. Um, talk about particularly this week, these guys uh, have done a phenomenal job to, you know, um, to – you know, find some talent and, you know, continue to build that place. Montana State, they have always been good when I was a player and until now. Um, they have big, strong guys that are that will hit you. Um, and so, and on top of that, they like you said, that they're, it's loud. It's a loud environment that causes natural stress for any opponent that comes into that stadium and trying to figure out how, you, you know, your snap count, different things that you can do. So they have a, a lot of just, you know, natural home field advantage. Um, and it's always fun to play in those environments when it's loud, hostile, um, and just have, brings natural energy to the game. Um, and so, you know, we're looking forward to the challenge and playing uh, a great team on the road um, to test exactly where we're at um, and, you know, to showcase where we're, you know, going to be uh, in terms of the future. Personnel-wise, anybody stand out on Montana State's defense? I know they got uh, some pretty uh, elite talent, all three levels. But to you, anybody that, that pops off the film to you? Yeah, uh, <laughs> a lot of the guys. Um, their D-line is – they cause havoc, both defensive ends. They are uh, aggressive, nasty, and they will hit you. Uh, linebacker number 15, he he's a big, long guy. I believe he was played quarterback previously, so I know yeah. he's a smart, cerebral player. Um, and he will just run sideline to sideline with all the effort that he can give you, and he will hit you. Um, they they show up. Um, 
both safeties are, you know, a smart safety. I know they have one, one drop down from Oregon State, um, number five, Jeffrey Manning. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a pretty good player. Both corners, you know, they have some length, that corner, um, some experience that are strong. Uh, that would challenge you at the line of scrimmage at some times. Um, really just their whole defense um, is, you know, really strong. Um, and, you know, that's kind of their – I don't know their, nothing about their offense, but they, they're probably one of the top defense that we have faced. And we face, you know, Montana, which it was a challenge. We faced Fresno State, you know, South Dakota, uh, some pretty good teams. And these guys are just – it's just another week. And not to mention that we faced Weber last week as well. Uh, it, it, they're, they're a talented bunch, very, very talented bunch. And, um, and it's going to be uh, a good challenge to come up and face those guys on Saturday. Coach, last couple things for you. I know you were in the Pac-12 when Troy Anderson was playing quarterback, but when you hear stuff like that, I mean, this guy's a linebacker. He's 6'4", 240, and he moved over and played – basically single-wing quarterback, and let Montana State the playoffs a couple of years ago. I know you didn't have a front-row seat to watch it, but when you hear stuff like that, I mean, that's, that's sort of ridiculous, right? Absolutely. A guy that, you know, played quarterback, one, you know he's going to be smart and tough. And, again, I know they uh, probably asked him to run the ball, and he, you know, from the past, and the Montana quarterbacks that have played, you know, those guys are just nightmares, at, you know, especially a runner, you know, Prue Cup, Denarius. Um, two guys that I know for sure, you know, those guys were just, you know, just athletic, tough, strong, um, breaking tackles, and just resilient. Um, and now you can kind of see the same thing um, on the defensive end. And, uh, he's just a guy that understands offense. Um, and I think, you know, he had, a, a, I believe, at least a one pick on the year. And he's just a guy that just knows football and, you know, and it's long. It's hard to throw over him. You know, it's hard to run at him. Um, it is a guy that has, has a lot of gifts. Well, Coach, this matchup should be a good one at Bobcat Stadium on Saturday. We'll get you out of here on this, though, something that I think everybody can agree on. And uh, I'll tell you this, I'm never going to stop drafting this guy in my fantasy football leagues. I'm never going to stop <laughs> I'm never going to stop putting him on my Twitter show. I have a picture with him, and it's like my prized possession because every time he catches a touchdown, I'm like, dude, I used to know that guy. You used to know that guy, too. Yeah. I'm sure you still know him very well. But Cooper Cup, what do you think of what he's doing right now in the NFL? Because he is tearing it up right now. Yeah, it's not surprising um, by I, any I means. That's the craziest um, part is the guys that saw him early on and threw it, like when I was covering him and you were coaching him, it's not surprising, right? No, it's not. Not from not from a, uh, from a, a performance standpoint, it's not surprising. He did the same thing in high school. He did the same thing in college. If you just go back and just watch him, you know, high school, college, until now, he's doing the same exact thing, right? He's breaking tackles. He's catching balls over people. He's smart. He understands the offense. And this, this is preparation, you know, um, the way that he prepares, the way he, he thinks. It's just on a different level. So the success that he's ha- having, I'm not surprised at all by any means. Um, and I thought the Rams got a steal, you know, when they got drafted him. I think they got a steal on, you know, his uh, salary contract as well. Um, I just think that I'm not surprised um, by any means. He's just, he's Cooper. Absolutely is. Knows how to win, knows how to have success, all of the above. And I know he would tell me that you, he had a, that you had a big influence on him as well. Coach, appreciate the time. Always pleasure talking to you. Welcome back anytime and best of luck in Bozeman this weekend. Appreciate you, man. There you go, Nick Edwards, across the sidelines. He's Cal Poly's offensive coordinator. Interesting stuff there because it is quite a task to rebuild a team. Cal Poly has a good football program. They have a lot of tradition. Cal Poly's won a lot of games. I mean, Cal Poly's made the playoffs three times. 
since they uh, joined the Big Sky Conference in 2012. When they were an independent, they were a perennial playoff contender. They're good. I mean, they have a good program. They regressed a little bit the last couple of years talent-wise uh, in the later years of Tim Walsh's career. I'm not sure what that's a product of. Could just be the ebbs and flows of a football program. But regardless, it is a, quite a deal to be able to to, or to try to rebuild something when what's in place, the triple option, et cetera, is so drastically different than what your football philosophies are. And Cal Poly's, Bo Baldwin's, those are certainly um, much different than what Cal Poly has had going on before. But we appreciate Coach Edwards joining us. That's across the sidelines. Presented by Mike Nugent and Berkshire Hathaway Real Estate. Real estate market ever-evolving. Right now could be the best time for you to buy. It could be the best time for you to sell. No matter if you have commercial or residential real estate questions, give Mike Nugent Berkshire Hathaway a call. Mike Nugent Berkshire Hathaway, your real estate experts around the state of Montana, reminding you that every question is good to ask. What does it mean to tear your meniscus? I don't really know much, but the guy who's going to join us next, he does. Sports Medicine Journal with Dr. Michael Wright here on ESPN Radio. Keep it dialed, 102.9 FM. After a long couple of months, it's finally feeling like we're getting back to business as usual. But it's not the usual at all. At Missoula's Wingate, we are, as always, committed to giving you a relaxing stay at a great value. But we're also balancing the new guidelines, like maximum pool occupancies and increased disinfecting, to protect your health with a never-ending pledge to make you feel at home when you're not. If you find yourself on the road in the Missoula area, please consider staying with us at Missoula's Wingate. ESPN Missoula Sports Center. Grizzlies fell on national television while the Bobcats rolled easily at home. Hello, I am Coulter Nuanez. The University of Montana traveled to the Inferno to take on Eastern Washington in Cheney on Saturday night. In a back-and-forth battle between two of the top teams in the FCS, EWU scored 24 unanswered points to win going away 34-28 on ESPN2. Eastern quarterback Eric Berrier threw for 422 yards and a pair of touchdowns each to Andrew Boston. And Tololo Limu Jones hauled in 11 passes for 231 yards, including a pair of 50 plus yard bombs to set up short touchdowns for the number one scoring offense in the country. The Grizz reached Barrier six times and largely stuffed Eastern's running game, but Montana's offense struggled to get on track as senior quarterback Cam Humphrey threw a pair of interceptions, including a pick in the end zone, before leaving the game with a lower body injury. The loss drops Montana from number four to number six in this week's poll, while EWU moved up from number six to number four after its fifth straight victory. Montana State won for the fourth straight time, rolling up another overmatched opponent at Bobcat Stadium, despite settling for field goals on three trips to the red zone in the first half alone. The Bobcats built a 20-point lead at the break and cruised to a 40-7 victory over Northern Colorado in Bozeman. Isaiah Fonse and Elijah Elliott each surpassed 100 yards rushing as MSU moved to 2-0 in Big Sky Conference play. This 102.9 ESPN Missoula Sports Center is brought to you by Aspen Sound. friend of mine we were talking about music 
And he asked me, you know, one of those unanswerable questions. What's my favorite Rolling Stones song of all time? Love the Stones. Went to see them in Missoula, one of the highlights of my life. But they have so many good tunes from so many different eras, hard to define. Then, popped on Blow with Johnny Depp a couple weeks ago. That song, playing us in. And I decided, that's it. Can't hear me knocking by the Rolling Stones. Definitely my favorite Stone song. Welcome back. Nuana is now 102.9 ESPN Radio. Statewide Television, SWX Montana TV. Hope you're having a great Tuesday. Still beautiful, man. So nice outside. I can't believe how sunny it is. Hopefully, maybe you take your radio on a walk. If you want to do that, you can do it. Just get on your mobile device, put your headphones in, go to 1029ESPN.com, click Listen Live. You can stream the show anywhere in the world. Super cool. Uh, great technology. So if uh, maybe you want to enjoy some sunshine and some nuanas now, do it. Sounds pretty fun. A couple things to get to before we get to Michael Wright, Sports Medicine Journal here, uh, talking all things meniscus injuries. First, out of Bozeman, I actually can't believe we didn't mention this on yesterday's show. Well, I, the thing is, the two hours, especially on Mondays when we're in football season, it's not enough time, man. Riley Corker wasn't even here yesterday. We still didn't have enough time to get through all the things we needed to get to in college football. And then, of course, Marty Morningweg and I spent an hour talking about the NFL as well. But the uh, game between Montana State and Northern Colorado last week, a couple things. One, MSU was uh, not very clean in that game. They, they, they were pretty messy, even though they won 40-7. to They could have run 63-7. to They had the ball in the red zone multiple times, got – Penalties that then force them into field goal tries. They get touchdowns on those. Even bigger blowout. Northern Colorado, it's not very good, man. They're not very well coached. Uh, I thought that they were the out of sorts, disoriented. They didn't have very many adjustments. Dylan McCaffrey did not play well. Uh, he has not played well, period, really, for them so far. So it uh, could be a long first season in Greeley. But speaking of the McCaffreys, my phone actually blew up about this because I think people were watching this as much as they were watching the game because it was a, a three-touchdown game at halftime. But Max McCaffrey, Ed McCaffrey's oldest son, Dylan McCaffrey's older brother, is the offensive coordinator at Northern Colorado. He threw a broken clipboard into the stands. Witnesses at the game said he did it in an act of uh, anger. Uh, they're spinning a little different at Northern Colorado now. I don't know how much consequence or how much validity there is to any of this. I did not see this in person, so I can't opine too much. But Northern Colorado, this is courtesy of Jaden Adams. So Jaden is uh, now covered Northern Colorado uh, at the Greeley Tribune. And uh, she was in the up, up at the game in Bozeman on Saturday. Uh, but she garnered a statement from Northern Colorado. It says, the University of Northern Colorado Athletics, in cooperation with Montana State Athletics, and the Big Sky Conference reviewed an incident involving an assistant football coach tossing an object into the stands that inadvertently struck a spectator at the Bears-Bobcats football game. After reviewing statements and video of the incident, it was determined offensive coordinator Max McCaffrey's tossing of a piece of broken clipboard to a fan who requested the souvenir, that's the key detail here, showed a lack of judgment but no malicious intent. The athletic director went on to have a quote about it's embarrassing, and they're working privately to apologize to the fan with the errant toss. After visiting with Max, confident there's no further engagement with the fans of our opponents, uh, Max McCaffrey officially, quote-unquote, reprimanded 
for the incident in Bozeman. So, I don't know. I thought he was going to get suspended. Who knows if it was a souvenir that the fan wanted or not. Either way, you can't be throwing stuff in the stands, man. You just can't do it. You never know. I mean, even if somebody did ask for the souvenir, what if you hit somebody else? And he obviously hit somebody that wasn't expecting it. And so, uh, I don't know. Sort of a microcosmic example of uh, what's going on right now in Greeley. I just don't know if they knew what they were getting into. They might have bit off more than they could chew. Maybe they'll get it rolling, but I did not see anything uh, very good on Saturday. Not even a lack of talent. They just they seemed out of sorts. They did not seem well well organized. They did not seem prepared. And the Montana State made a ton of mistakes, which Northern Colorado capitalized on none of, and uh, a runaway victory for the Bobcats. We're going to get into some more uh, Big Sky Conference stuff, including a couple tidbits of Grizz news. But first... The reinstitution of one of my favorite segments. Well, happy now. Reinstitution of a really interesting and really fun segment here on Nuana is now. It's the Sports Medicine Journal, presented by Missoula Bone and Joint. Dr. Michael Wright joins us once a month here. Took a month or two off in the summer because, well, it's the summer in Montana and everybody's busy, everybody's all over the place. Doc, we haven't talked to you in a while. How was your summer? How you doing? Oh, summer was great. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. We're just getting busy in the fall here, gearing up with all the uh, sports season starting up, so we're we're staying busy. Of course. Well, Missoula Bone and Joint, your best spot for any orthopedic care that you might need. For those who have not heard this before, the Sports Medicine Journal, we usually just take one common orthopedic injury walk you through what it means to actually hurt yourself like that, what's the surgery like, what's the recovery like, all that sort of stuff. So today, we're going to talk about one that is very common in the world of sports, meniscus injury. So Doc, first and foremost, define for people, what is your meniscus? Well, the meniscus is part of the knee um, that acts as a shock absorber. It's a large piece of cartilage that sits in inside the knee in between the thigh bone and the, the tibia bone, and there's two of them inside of the human knee. There's a medial meniscus and a lateral meniscus, and um, their function is, is primarily to act as a cushion inside the knee and as a shock absorber. Um, they have a secondary function to also help with stability in the knee, and, uh, and we see that particularly in the ACL-deficient knees. You know, if they have a concomitant meniscus, Meniscal injury, you know, the instability is often even worse. So we know that they do have some some function for shock absorbs, absorption, uh, protection of the knee, and then also a secondary function of, of helping with stability of the knee. So it seems as if it's not necessarily the same thing as a traditional ligament. Is that correct? Yes, that's that's absolutely correct. You know, ligaments attach bones to other bones, and they help stabilize the bones together. The meniscus really doesn't uh, attach bones together. It's really really like a cushion uh, that just sits inside of the knee, and uh, it's quite a mobile structure too. You know, as you're walking, your meniscuses actually have uh, translation from front to back, and even some from side to side. So it's it's really like a cushion that just sits inside the knee, and and again acts as a, a shock absorber. As, as you weight bear and as you run and jump and, and uh, do all sorts of athletic activities. With this most basic description, most knee ligaments are sort of like rubber bands, right? So the concept of actually tearing them, it actually is a tear either partially or all the way through the ligament, right? So then this, when someone says they tear their meniscus, that's a little bit different than 
tearing your ACL or your MCL or your LCL or anything like that, right? It is. It's, it's completely different. And uh, the difference, the main difference is with a meniscus, you know, it's uh, it's shaped like the letter C and it's a saucer uh, type structure. And there's a whole spectrum in terms of tears. And so it is possible to tear completely through the meniscus, just like you would if you tore your ACL. Um, and that's the worst type of tear. That's called a complete radial tear when you tear all the way through. It's just like uh, when you tear a ligament. However, more commonly, people get like smaller tears that are flap tears where there's just a small piece of meniscus that's flipping up and down, but the integrity of the meniscus is still intact because the whole outer rim is still intact. And uh, and so, you know, in my line of work, meniscus surgeries and injuries are very, very, very common. And uh, there's an entire spectrum in terms of the severity, uh, everything from a very, very small, mild, minor tear to something that requires, you know, removal of almost the entire meniscus. And so we see the whole the whole spectrum. Dr. Michael Wright, this is a little bone of joint. Joining us here is part of our Sports Medicine Journal, where we discuss various injuries, fairly common in the world of sports. Talking meniscuses today. And Doc, when you talk about that flap, a lot of times they talk in the NBA particularly, because as you're describing this, the meniscus is, is a very cushiony type thing that absorbs a lot of shock. So guys that jump up and down seems like they might be the ones that need it the most and maybe hurt it the most often as well. Well, when you talk about that little flap, there's the concept of the scoop. You always hear that in the NBA. Are you going to get it scooped? Are you going to get your knee scooped? Are you going to get your meniscus scooped? What does that mean? Well, so I, th- I believe what you're referring to is like a knee arthroscopy, which is a usually a pretty minor surgery for meniscus. And so, uh, you know, when people have their knee scoped, we basically put the camera into the knee, we look all around. And if there's a small flap of tissue, I mean, it's usually just trimmed out. Um, you know, there's very few meniscus tears that are actually repairable. About 90% of the time, we're just trimming trimming it. Uh, but the outer rim of the meniscus does have blood supply, so we do uh, repair those occasionally. But, uh, yeah, it's very, very common to have a knee, a knee procedure. It's all done, you know, up on a TV screen through small incisions, and typically the recovery is, is pretty quick afterwards. It is the faster way of, of, there's basically two broad meniscus procedures, right? Yes, yeah. So the, the one you, you just described, that's the one that's it's more expedited, it's faster to recover from, correct? It, absolutely, yeah. If you trim the meniscus out, like let's say you just have a small tear that's maybe 10% of the inner rim of the meniscus, something that's pretty small, still very symptomatic to the person, meaning they're hurting a lot. But uh, a pretty small tear, that's something that, you know, we can take care of in, in 30 minutes, honestly. Just trim out that little tiny flap. And the recovery is very quick. I mean, this, this is what you hear when you hear guys in the NBA that had a meniscus uh, issue. Uh, some of them are coming back in three, four weeks. I mean, it really is incredible, and they're playing at that level. Um, however, that's in contrast to the second meniscus surgery, which is when the meniscus is actually repaired. And what that means is we actually go in and sew the meniscus meniscus back together and there's just not a lot of types of tears that are amenable to that it really has to be in a specific zone of the meniscus it has to be a specific tear pattern in order to actually heal with a repair and so it's technically possible to repair you know pretty much all types of meniscus tears however if you did that most of them would not heal and then you'd be looking at another surgery down the road and and we see this you know in professional athletes all the time they have one meniscus surgery and then you know down the road they do well for a while, then down the road, they have another 
another you know issue with that same knee and a lot of times what's happening is uh their meniscus was repaired the first time and then it fails to heal and then down the road you're looking at the second surgery and uh when you talk about return to sport after meniscus injuries the repair is quite a bit slower than the meniscus scope where it's a quick you know quick surgery you know where some people are back to sports in three to four weeks you know the repair it's more like three to four months and so you know that just falls in line you know not all meniscus tears are created equal nor do we treat them uh the same and so it is tough to interpret sometimes when you hear about an athlete in meniscus you don't really know what's going on there because it it could be a really short recovery or it could be a really long uh return to to sports dr michael wright from missoula bone and joint joining us with our sports medicine journal once a month we talk common injuries in sports what does it actually mean and what does it actually mean to recover and, Dak, in the NBA specifically, I can think of at least three guys off the top of my head, Chris Paul, Kemba Walker, Kyrie Irving, that have all had multiple, as you're describing, somewhat minor meniscus surgeries. But in Kemba Walker's case, for sure, and a little bit now, Chris Paul, he's getting older. These guys are experiencing secondary side effects from those uh, procedures, uh, mostly bone-on-bone or arthritis or a combination of the two. So is, is that a, a, a byproduct of if you do – choose the the quicker so to speak of the two surgeries and uh, sometimes you can come back down the road and then maybe have some side effects Yo, absolutely. Um, we, we know, you know, the meniscus is in there for a reason. And so when you're trimming some of it out, you're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul. And, you, you know, back in the 70s and 80s uh, or even the 90s, you know, sometimes meniscus tears were treated with take the whole thing out. Um, they were nowadays we can be much more selective in taking out as little as possible. But historically, you know, sometimes the entire meniscus was removed. And, and now, you know, I see those in my practice now, people that had had a meniscus surgery from football injury back in the 70s that now come in and and now their option is really total knee replacement and so we do know that the, the human knee will wear out uh quicker when the meniscus has been removed but the rate at which it degrades and goes on to become arthritic is a little bit unpredictable and i, I think it's unpredictable because i it probably depends on well how much meniscus was taken out the first time you know it goes back to that the example i gave earlier if it's this little inner rim 10 percent tear i mean that knee is probably going to be just fine for a very very long time but if you look at you know professional athlete that's three or four uh you know meniscus surgeries in you know like lindsey vaughn comes to mind she's had just all sorts of knee injuries you know those are knees that are going to wear out prematurely so you're absolutely right you see guys like chris ball towards end of their career you know they've been through multiple knee arthroscopies uh you know at some point that the knee is just going to be worn out and uh and so you know the best case scenario with meniscus injuries is that the initial tear is a repairable tear pattern it can be successfully repaired and then you know the person never has another issue with it again and they've got all their meniscus in there and so that's what we strive for you know every time but unfortunately you know a lot of meniscus tears that just will that will not work uh, to repair them and it all goes back to blood supply like we've talked about before the when i trim most meniscus tears i use uh, little shavers and biters and little instruments to trim and it doesn't bleed at all so it just mm. tells you that is a completely avascular structure and the, the inner two-thirds of it and so uh, that without the blood you don't it, it'll never heal very interesting. Well, so much of when you get other parts of your knee uh, repaired surgically is is uh, almost a regrowth. Is there regrowth of the meniscus? There's really not. Um, you know, I've I've done second look surgeries on people that had had a meniscus trimming you know years ago, and it looks pretty much the same. You know, when you go in there, it really doesn't grow grow back. There's 
you know, a lot of cool research that's being done and being tried. Um, you know, they, they do make a synthetic meniscus that's not, you know, FDA approved, but it's in research trials. Um, they do uh, typically or occasionally do a, a cadaver transplant of an entire meniscus. So that would mean you take the meniscus out of a, a person that is deceased and then implant that meniscus into a patient's knee. That can certainly be done. Um, the long-term data on that is somewhat mixed. Uh, there's some successors uh, with that, but not always. Um, so there's a lot of things that, that as an orthopedic community, we're, we're trying to achieve uh, really to prevent what you already alluded to, the, the arthritis down the road. Um, so I think there'll be more to come on that, you know, hopefully within my within my career and time frame where we can we can help people out with that. Um, but to answer your question, it does not it does not grow back. So once it's gone, it's gone. And, and that's why we're so selective when we are doing that surgery. We just take the absolute smallest amount possible. And and the goal when we do it is really just to remove any portion of the meniscus is, that is unstable. Because when we're doing this surgery, we're trying to imagine, well, if the patient's up and walking around, what part of that meniscus is so loose that it can flip up or flip down? And, and that's the only component you want to remove. Anything that's stable, you want to leave inside the knee. And so I think as an orthopedic community, we've, we have have gotten better about you know leaving as much meniscus as possible um but sometimes you just have no choice if it's if it's a horrific tear i mean there's really really nothing you can do other than trim it out what's the most difficult or challenging part of rehabbing these injuries? well it, you know it can be number one is getting it to heal and so when you rehab like a meniscus repair it's more similar to an acl surgery than it is like a meniscus trimming surgery and so range of motion can be difficult and you know when an athlete goes down after an injury it's like the clock immediately starts in terms of of muscle loss and when you take someone and just say okay don't put any weight on your leg for six weeks the muscle atrophy is very very fast it's kind of not fair because it takes you know two or three times as long to get that muscle mass back and so that's what we see with meniscus repairs is we often keep people off of it for anywhere between two and and six weeks and then they've developed this atrophy and so the rehab uh, process after the range of motion has come back is then you know now we got to get the strength back and that's when you see these professional athletes are they're just incredible in incredible shape going into it that's why they can recover quicker is because they've already got that great muscle mass uh, going into it they've got kind of the best case scenario for the rehab and therefore the rehab is it can be uh, accelerated uh, as opposed to a non-athlete or, or more of a recreational athlete the sports medicine journal presented by missoula bone and joint with dr michael wright we do this once a month here on new as now and doc very interesting stuff we appreciate the time and we'll catch up with you soon okay thanks colter there you go missoula bone and joint happy they bring that to us because that's informative interesting also of interest and interesting football the footy type soccer andrew houghton's got more keep it right here Forty fifteen coming at you on new is now At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. Through Blackfoot sponsorships, local ambassadors, and public programs, we support initiatives such as the Emergency Broadband Benefit, Fiber Deployments, and Community Events. For information on our commitment to improving our communities with fast, reliable, and secure internet access, go to blackfootcommunications.com slash news. ESPN Radio. There's a place. 
Montana, welcome back. Nuana is now 1029 ESPN Radio as well as SWX Montana TV. I'm Coulter Nuanez coming to you live from the Northwest Motorsport Studio. Northwest Motorsport boasts the largest inventory of trucks anywhere in the Pacific Northwest. You can find all that inventory on full display online at nwmsrocks.com. That's nwmsrocks.com. October is also Trucktober. Trucktober is now at Northwest Motorsport with interest rates as low as 1.99% APR to qualified buyers. That's Northwest Motorsport, trucks, trucks, and more trucks. Andrew Houghton, new here at ESPN, uh, a veteran now at Skyline Sports, been with us for on and off since 2018, and uh, he's doing a good job of all things, but particularly helping us out with some stuff that we hadn't been covering as heavily before he got here, mainly Soccer. He's had some great conversations with Chris Chitovitsky, Grizz soccer coach, as well as analyzing football on the global scale. This is an excerpt from the latest Smoke and Snow podcast. Why the Smoke and Snow? Well, soccer, they play in the smoke at the beginning of the season and the snow by the end of the season. It's definitely an interesting fall outdoor sport, to be sure. Uh, but that podcast available on all your various podcast hosting platforms. Here's an excerpt of it talking at uh, the top level of soccer, mostly Manchester United, here's Andrew Houghton, the forty fifteen. Manchester United, I mean, that must have been just a trip you're rooting for. I think, you know, it's it's fair to call them maybe the most iconic sports team in the world, right? Like there are some other contenders for that title, I guess probably Real Madrid and Barcelona. But Manchester United, I mean, you see the, you see the crest and you see the colors everywhere and they've had of course great players what was it like following that team for as long as you have well from the 90s on it was pretty good but right. during the 80s I gotta tell you and you know I'm well I'm 49 years old so unfortunately for the first part of me following you know we, we moved to England in 1979 like say I was seven so through the 80s um, honestly not very good we, we were awful we sucked United were not a good team throughout most of the 80s, um, especially as you turned into the, the, the late 80s. They were, they were a bad team. So, I mean, I enjoyed it. And like you say, they're, they're iconic. Um, you said that. I remember when I was lived in England, there was a poll of sporting brands, and the two most iconic worldwide brands were Manchester United and the New York Yankees. Um, but I'm a Los Angeles Dodgers fan, so I didn't really care for that part of the poll. Um, but, but, and then in the 90s, and I used to go watch them regularly in the very early 90s when I started college. Um, I'd go watch them most Saturdays. The year before the Premier League, I remember, I probably watched them about a dozen times. The year before that, I went like 20 plus times, went to almost every home game and about six or seven away games as well. Um, I saw Ryan Giggs on his debut, actually. And then it got better. And then, like, like I said in the introduction, I played college um, for my university. 
So I stopped going the year they won the league. I think I don't. I don't even think I saw them once the year they won the league, which is something I'm going to regret till the day I die. Quite honestly, um, I, I'd watched all through the awful 80s, the average early 90s, and then when they started winning things, I, I wasn't going anymore. And I think I, I, after that, after I graduated college, I might I may have got up there maybe once or twice a season, and that was about it because I was playing. Every Saturday, I was training in midweek. If we didn't have a game, we trained at least every Tuesday, Thursday. And if we had a game in there, um, I was out three or four nights. So, so I don't know. I mean, it was a little bit of a mixed bag. But certainly since the early 90s, oh, it's been fantastic. Uh, honestly, it's been fantastic. Uh, I was pretty cocky and arrogant for a long time between the 90s and the 2000s. Oh yeah, that's well deserved. What do you think sets Manchester United apart, just as a brand, um, as, as a team, as as a program? I mean, it's something that you know. I growing up just purely in America and, and coming to soccer sort of later in life, I didn't follow soccer when those great United teams in the two thousands under Sir Alex Ferguson were were winning. What sets what sets them apart as as a brand and and as a global brand? You know, honestly, I think the first steps to that came through the the Munich tragedy, the Munich uh, air, uh, air tragedy, um, when the the United plane cr- uh, crashed in Munich in what 1958 and um, killed a, a lot of their players. I think that sort of they. Be- got a lot of sympathy on the world stage for that because that was a heck of a soccer team. I mean, that was a heck of a soccer team. Everybody figured that that would be the first um, English team to win the European Cup, which is now the Champions League. Um, uh, And yeah, the the, the Munich air um, disaster is probably what did it. And then teams sort of almost, or, or fans across the world were willing United to come back uh, and be successful. And then you get to the late 60s where you've got um, Bobby Charlton and George Best playing for them and Dennis Law, and they're so entertaining, and then they become successful. I think people just followed that along, and then uh, at that point, it's just a tidal wave. And, and even when United, I mean, I, I say that the 80s were dire. Manchester United have always really, even when they weren't getting results, for the most part, they've been a very entertaining, attack-minded team. I remember in the 80s when Ron Atkinson was the, the manager. Boy, there were some seasons we were awful in terms of results. But boy, we were fun to watch. Um, just because it was always an attack-minded team. Uh, and then obviously you get um, to Sir Alex from the, the, the late 80s on. And he built his team around youth again. Uh, and I think... Um, even Matt Busby built his team around youth. I think any team that's going to have a youth culture like that and bring homegrown players in, there's always going to be people who like to watch that. And then when they're entertaining as well, that's what sets them apart. And then you throw in the, the marketing men from the, the 90s into the 2000s, then they're just marketing themselves well all the way across the, 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 the globe. And I think you combine all those factors and you have a global iconic team. 
I'm glad you brought up the the point about just, you know, playing an entertaining style. And I'm going to take a slight digression here because this is something that I ask every soccer coach that I talk to. I I was talking to the Montana head coach, Chris Chitovitsky, a, a week or two ago, and I asked him about this. How do you how do you balance just the way that you set up your team because it's the big dichotomy when we're talking about you know the clash of styles is do you set up attacking or do you set up to defend and does that change based on the quality of opposition that you're playing you've been really successful with Blackfoot how do you manage that game to game because you're facing such a wide range of talent, you know, on the other team from game to game, does that factor into to your game planning at all? A little bit. Honestly, I probably should factor that in a little bit more. But because I'm a Manchester United fan, I mean, that definitely has an influence on me. I've always watched attacking um, soccer. But even the teams I've played on in England... Um, even in the 80s and 90s, and, and England was notorious for what they called the long ball through the 80s and into the early 90s, I always played for guys who wanted to play soccer right. Ball on the deck, pass and move. So my biggest influence is, even when I played in the West Midlands Regional League, we weren't a team that went looking to headhunt, to kick, to, ho- to hoof the ball. We to do a little route one, yeah. Yeah, we never were a route one kind of team. We were ball on the deck, pass and move. Uh, And my manager, um, Fred Dinham, man, he would get so angry. I was the sweeper. So for him, I was that first line of attack. I'd get the ball in space behind the back line. And if I just tried to ping that ball aimlessly long, man, I'd hear him in a heartbeat screaming at me from the side. So uh, my, my philosophy is an attack try and play real soccer thing so and that's just like say my own personal influences have always been about that so I always try and set Blackfoot up as an attacking team that's going to this year last year we got to the state championship game this year we're a young inexperienced team but every one of our practices it's ball on the deck quick moving stuff all of our drills are, are that kind of thing. You know what I mean? We, 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 we look to transition quickly. We look to pass the ball quickly on the deck. Um, and I probably don't set it up game to game as much as I really ought to because it just goes against what I believe. Dude, honestly, Andrew, if you ever see a Blackfoot team put the low block on, I probably quit as head coach a month before that. Um, we're, we're not going to set a low block up. It's not our style. We'll be tight. We'll be compact. We'll be intelligent. But there's no way. I, I, it's just not a philosophy that I could prescribe to putting mm, eight or nine guys behind a ball. It's ugly. It's not, it's not soccer. I don't like it. I love asking that question of coaches because the the response is, is so telling. And, yeah, I mean, that's that's a great answer. I mean, a lot of coaches will come in and, and say that they want to play attacking and keep possession of the ball and nice combination play and everything. And then they'll sort of realize that they have to be pragmatic or they don't have the talent for it. And they'll they'll back off of that. But it's it's just always so interesting to hear to hear what coaches say and what their philosophy is. Talking here on soccer and snow and smoke with 
One of my friends from down in southeastern Idaho, Liam Pope, who's the head coach at Blackfoot High School down there. He's got a great pedigree in the game. Grew up mostly in England. Played semi-professional soccer in England for a long time. Liam, let's get back to Manchester United because right now uh, I think Manchester United is the most interesting team in the world just based purely on the fact that they are Manchester United. They managed to have a transfer move that was bigger than Lionel Messi leaving Barcelona. I mean, when Lionel Messi leaves Barcelona and then it's not the biggest soccer news in the world a week later because Manchester United brings Ronaldo back to Manchester, that's just incredibly interesting. And because, you know, they haven't been firing on all cylinders quite yet this season. There have been a couple dips, so you have that spotlight of Ronaldo's back. They've got Paul Pogba there, Bruno Fernandes, uh, Marcus Rashford, just these these huge stars. But there have been a couple hiccups in the early season. So where are you with? First of all, I guess what was your what was your experience with Manchester United this summer with with the transfer business that they did. You know, I liked what we'd done before. I think we're, well, I, I, and I still think we're short of a defensive central midfielder. And I think that's what's going to stop United winning, winning the title. Uh, you and I, when we were talking on the phone the other day, we, I, I, I think we talked about that. Um, but I was pretty happy with what we did. I mean, I, I think the Ronaldo transfer, the fact that it over, overshadowed uh, the Sancho transfer to United, I thought that was great business. And it showed that United were going to go and attack. So we go and get James Sancho, and we're looking all good and everything's happy there. And then we go and get uh, Ronaldo as well. I, 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 boy, I was excited. I honestly, I felt like a little kid again. You, you can ask my wife, and I know this is like really amateur and like immature, and people are probably going to be out there and think, oh, he's pathetic. Man, I was, I was thinking Viva Ronaldo for the whole. 10 days before he made his United debut. I was up 30 minutes before we kicked off in his debut, um, uh, his second debut against Newcastle. I was hyped about our business. So there you go. Awesome stuff. 4015, we'll do that every other week here. Nuana's now Andrew Houghton. Great podcast. Smoke and Snow, all about soccer at the international level, the national level, and, of course, the local level as well. Let's go check that out. You can subscribe any of your podcasting platforms we're late for a very important date tucker Sargent, zach lawson grizz hockey next sports bet montana is powered by the montana lottery join in on the excitement for sports bet montana by betting on your favorite sports and teams both collegially and professionally There are multiple ways to bet, including in-game, which gets you into the action live as the game unfolds, and parlay betting, where you could have a chance to win big. Sportsbet Montana is a secure and interactive way to win while watching your favorite sports. Bets can be placed securely on the mobile app while at an authorized Sportsbet Montana location or by using the Sportsbet Montana kiosk located at approved vendors. Montana bettors have wagered more than $28 million since Sportsbet Montana launched almost a year ago, and in that time, bettors have won more than $25 million. Sportsbet Montana's retail partners have more than $1.7 million in commission. Head on down to your authorized Sportsbet Montana locations and get in on the fun today. 
Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia. When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org.